Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Chronicles of Nannia, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. I am your host, Martha Reddick, and this week we are going to be talking about gun safety. And to do that, I have brought on Elizabeth Henschen. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for your willingness to do this with me. Before we get into the subject matter at hand. Let's hear a little bit about your background with kids. Sure, sure. So I am a pediatrician. So I um, did all of my training in Chicago. And during my residency, I was involved in an outpatient clinic. So I saw patients from when they were born to when they were 18, 19 years old, Mm -hmm. um, doing annual well child checks and sick visits. But now I'm a practicing hospitalist. So I see patients who are sick enough to be admitted to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So that's my main exposure to kids. I also have a three-year-old son. So as I'm kind of discovering the overlap between my professional and my personal life, there are some certain areas of interest that I've really discovered and gun violence is one of those and one of the nice things about being a pediatrician is we have a wonderfully supportive community in the American Academy of Pediatrics and they do a lot of wonderful advocacy work and work on gun control and identifying other partners that where where they have goals of just keeping children as safe as possible Mm -hmm. is now one of one of my passions yeah that's lovely and um something that you know i tell my nanny kids all the time they can repeat this all the time because i say it often is what's my number one job as your nanny and they always go to keep us safe Mm -hmm. and so that is why i wanted to talk to you about this um, because I think our goals are the same and that's to keep kids safe. Absolutely. And so, um, but I I love that you're coming at it from a place of more expertise um, and and background in this particular subject than I am. Though I have, as I do with all of my episodes, done some research (laughs) because I am a nerd and I love research. That's wonderful. (laughs) Um, So... Until recently, I had never, uh, I never used to when I was interviewing or going over to a house with children, I never asked, is there a gun in the house? But now I ask all the time because of the increase in gun violence in our country lately. Um, So if there's a gun in the home, What should a nanny know about the gun or guns? Because sometimes when there's one, there's lots um, to help keep everyone, but especially the kids safe. Sure, sure. So, and I completely agree with you. Um, It definitely is something that that we need to bring awareness to. Mm -hmm. And one, in in researching for this episode, (laughs) um, there are a lot of statistics that really stood out to me in a very jarring way. So... The first is one in three children live in a house with a gun. Wow. So you really should 
to be on the safe side, assume that you were going into a house that has a weapon in it. Right. And the first thing you need to know is how is that gun stored? Mm -hmm. Because there are recommendations on how to safely store a gun. So what we recommend is that if there is a firearm in the house, it needs to be stored unloaded Mm -hmm. and locked somewhere where children can't access it. They don't have access to the lock or the code or the key. Mm -hmm. The ammunition needs to be stored separately from it and locked in its own compartment. So that is the safest way to store a gun. Right. Um, So as a nanny who will be spending time in that house and taking care of children in that house, you need to know how is that gun stored and is it stored safely? And where is it? So Mm -hmm. you know this room is off limits and no one should be playing in this room. One thing that you should also know is, as nannies, you already know this, but kids are very intuitive. Right. And they hear things that you don't think they hear. And they understand nonverbal cues better than we think they can. Mm -hmm. So there was a study showing that 75% of kids aged 5 to 14 years old know where the gun in their house is. Wow. Yeah. So... You have to assume that there is a gun in the home and you have to assume that the child knows where that gun is. Right. So if you can make those assumptions, then you're at least setting yourself up to be as safe as you possibly can working somewhere where there is a gun in the home. Right. And also those statistics say to me that if as the nanny, you don't know where the gun is or if there's a gun, you know less than the child right. that you are taking care of, um, which is problematic, right. I think. Um, not to say there's lots of ways that children know more than we do in certain subjects. But in this particular one, because it has to do with safety, the child should not have more knowledge right. <laughs> of this than you do. So part of your job is to keep kids safe. So part of your job is to know if and where the gun is. And going in with an assumption that there is a gun, I think, is a really um, good way to make sure that you do know. (laughs) Right. And I think you also, unfortunately, have to assume that the gun is not stored properly. Right. Because if you think about it, studies have shown that the number one reason for urban and suburban gun ownership is self-protection. Right. So if you're in a rural environment, it's mostly for recreational hunting purposes. Mm -hmm. But unless, if you're in a suburb or a city and you feel like you need a gun in order to keep yourself safe, recognizing that if there is a home invasion, that you need to unlock a gun, unlock the ammunition, load the gun before you are personally threatened, that's a lot of steps to go through, Mm -hmm. which is why most guns are not stored properly. And most of them are stored loaded or unlocked. Right. Yeah. On that, just a thought, and I'll try to look this up and post it on the Facebook, but there was this initiative to that a dog shelter would buy your gun and then put $100 towards a dog because a dog is much better at keeping your family safe than a gun is, statistically. So just thinking about that, not to say that you're going in to change the minds of the parents that you work for, but for your own knowledge, (laughs) uh, a dog is way better at keeping your family safe and not hurting you or your children than... A gun is. Right. And I think, um, and there are statistics that back you up. And there are statistics that say that having a firearm in your house increases the risk of someone committing suicide by four times. Mm. And having a gun in the home increases the incident of the people in the house being shot or killed by that gun by four to 10 times. Right. So whatever your personal belief on guns and their role in your life and your community is, the statistics do show that just the simple presence of having a gun in your house makes you more likely to be a victim of violence. Right. Um, and a lot of times it's, uh, 
not intentional violence. So toddlers <laughs> get into everything. They, I've, I've seen a toddler get through a child's lock. One, the baby that I was nannying the other day was chewing on the child lock. <laughs> and I, I looked at it for like three seconds and then was like, okay, let's get you a toy that is more for you. Uh, that is more a toy. <laughs> um, so toddlers get into everything and they do it faster than you think they will. And I, I know any nanny that's worked with toddlers will tell you that. Um, and so what we talked about the safest way to, to store a gun, um, but how can you, if you are working in a house where a gun is not stored in a safe way, how can you have that conversation with the parents, making it clear that you are trying to keep the kids as safe as possible? Sure, sure. So I... And I definitely appreciate that nannies come from a place of you're more vulnerable because mm-hmm. you are being hired to do a job and you don't want to offend anybody. And the topic of guns can be very polarizing. Right. So I, I would approach it the same way that, that I approach kind of the, the sex talk with my teenage patients. Right. So... You have to build a base of trust and you have to establish your goals in your job description. So mm-hmm. the first thing I say is, it is my job to be here to protect you. And I can't do my job unless I know kind of what is going on in your life. Right. And once you've established that, you're really just there to protect the child. And as a nanny, it is my job to keep your child as safe as I possibly can. And then I wouldn't necessarily start with a topic on guns. And, right. and you, this can be a conversation that you can have if you're interviewing for a new job mm-hmm. or if you are talking to a new family for like a play date. Right. So... You can start by saying, you know, does a child have any allergies? Mm-hmm. Are there any emergency medications that I need to know about, like an EpiPen or an albuterol inhaler? Are there dogs? Is your child scared of pets? Right. Is there a pool in the premises? What do you plan to have, like, for snacks? Mm-hmm. Are there any weapons in the house? And so you kind of build up to that. That's not the first question that That's you ask. That's brilliant. And... By weapons, you can then elaborate on hunting knives, handguns, rifles. So you're not just... Bows and arrows. Bows and arrows, you know, BB (laughs) guns. You're not just focusing on one specific thing. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, is there going to be anyone that shouldn't be visiting the house? Mm -hmm. So you can really take it and ask a lot of information all at once so it kind of dilutes out the power of the gun question or the anxiety of asking about that. And it really does establish you as being thorough Mm -hmm. and being interested. And hopefully that family will understand, wow, this person really is interested in protecting my child. Right. And then if they say, yes, there is a gun in the home, then you can ask the, where is it? You know, is it stored, loaded, unloaded? Because then at least they'll recognize that you know what you're talking about. Right. And, you know, you can have that calm demeanor where you're not coming off as being judgmental. Mm-hmm. And um, and you can even say, you know, and if, if they say something about, yeah, it's loaded, but it's in the top drawer of our bedroom and he never goes in there, so you'll be fine. You can always say, you know, I'm not that comfortable with that setup because I've seen kids get into those top drawers even with the best parental supervision. Right. And so could we maybe store it separately from his ammunition and store it unloaded or depending on your comfort with that situation, because that may still be very difficult to give some pushback. But also remember, you have to weigh your discomfort with that situation with the fact that you could be saving that child's life. Right. 
And I do think that, at least for me personally, um, I get a lot of strength from protecting a child versus asking for something personally. Mm -hmm. So a pay raise is a lot harder for me to ask than a, a safety issue for a kid, you know? And especially, I have worked with so many kids with allergies. So that conversation, because I've had it so many times, I'm very good at it. Right. Um, and it it's a conversation that, because I personally have allergies, that I didn't, I wasn't as comfortable before because it was for me versus for a child. Um, I'm a lot more strict when it comes to protecting a child. So I think a similar line of thinking of I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing this for the child is helpful. You're the advocate. Right. Yes. Um, and I, th I think that that will help any nannies that are feeling hesitant sure. um, but want to have this conversation. Also, what I heard you say about kind of sandwiching the gun question in the middle of other questions is a similar premise to one that we've talked about of the compliment sandwich. Sure. Um, and so if you've listened to that episode, it's way back. I think it's working with difficult parents um, or difficult topics to discuss with parents. It's way back. I'll, I'll list it. Um, but if you are talking to a parent about a difficult topic like this, sandwiching it between things that are more comfortable or positive is a great way <laughs> to continue that conversation. Yes. Without anyone raising their hackles. Yeah. Um, lovely. I, that was great. Thank you. You, and you did talk about kind of unintentional injuries right. from firearms. And I probably wouldn't throw statistics in a parent's face because that's just going to make them be defensive. But I do have statistics. <laughs> that's great. On unintentional gun deaths. And when we talk about statistics of gun deaths, and I don't have gun injuries, mm -hmm. but we talk about you know, suicide, homicide, and unintentional deaths. And hopefully you all would never be in the position where you would be in a situation of family violence. Right. And so usually you would be mostly concerned about the unintentional injuries right. from a fast and crafty toddler. Yes. So... There is a wonderful website that is put on by the CDC, and it is the National Violence Death Reporting System. And you can Google it, and it shows you statistics on leading causes of death from all different states, from injuries, suicide, homicide, not just guns. Right. But it's really the best cumulative data that we have. Okay. And so I looked at unintentional deaths just from the most recent data they had on the website. So that was from 2015 to 2016. And during that year, there were 122 unintentional deaths from firearms mm. from kids zero to 14 years old. So if you think of the number 122 unintentional deaths, 61 of those were kids zero to four. Wow. And we know that a child three years old is strong enough to pull the trigger on a handgun. Mm. So, which really touched home with me because my son just turned three this last week. Right. So understanding that our perceptions of what a child can do, what they can reach, how creative they can be in order to get to that top cabinet where they think there might be some candy, mm -hmm. um, we tend to downplay their abilities. Right. And so a statistic like this really opened my eyes because when you look at the data of older kids, so kids 5 to 9, 10 to 14, they definitely have fewer unintentional deaths than the 0 to 4-year-olds. So that is definitely a vulnerable population that you need to be aware of. On the other hand, it also showed kids 15 to 19 there, um, in kids 15 to 19 years old, there were 105 deaths. Wow. Unintentional gun deaths. So this isn't homicide. This isn't suicide. These are kids that should know better that still end up killing 
usually a sibling or a friend because they are playing with a gun. So unfortunately, data has shown that gun violence prevention education programs for kids are not successful. Hmm. So even the kids that you feel should know better aren't immune from this kind of violence. Right. And it is so interesting because in that 15 to 19, you said, mm-hmm. um, they're, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but their prefrontal cortex isn't as developed. Right. So the thinking through of consequences isn't the same as an adult right. thinking through a situation. Right. And it's also because their prefrontal cortex is not as well developed, they're also likely engaging in more high-risk behaviors. Right. They do have that feeling of invincibility, mm-hmm. which definitely gets them into trouble, especially when there are firearms involved. Right. And that is a, a very important stage of development, but it needs to be done safely. Right. <laughs> um, take Risky behavior is important. Uh, I'm in... Uh, a grad school program for family counseling. And so I do know that risky behavior, if you don't do it at all, that's also bad for you, um, <laughs> developmentally speaking. But knowing that a, in a house with a gun, is it's different. Um, and that those, those numbers are, are very sad. Um, and then back to the toddlers, because that's more the age that we're likely to work with. Although we have lots of nannies work with older kids, they're house managers and in charge of, um, you know, kids' busy, busy schedules. I'm impressed sometimes and scared sometimes with how busy kids are, um, knowing that I was also very busy. But with those younger kids, often... They have toy guns that we are fine with (laughs) them playing and shooting at each other. So understanding that their sense of play is also the same thing that could lead to accidental gun death. Right. And I think that's really hard because it's so ingrained in our culture to play cops and robbers or Avengers Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be and have a Nerf gun or a water gun. And it's hard to say no child should play with a water gun because it's imitating violent behavior. Right. It's a hot day in the summer. Kids are going to play with water guns. But I think it's also important to, to tell them you know, there are restrictions in what you can do. So with water guns, like, don't shoot people in the face. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is something that could hurt somebody. So don't shoot them in the face. Um, And I think it's it's also, I don't know. I, I think if you have a child that's playing with a toy gun, depending on the age of the child, it can be worth it to sit down and have that conversation of, you know, this could look like a real gun. Mm -hmm. And there are children who've been playing with fake guns on Halloween who've gotten injured by law enforcement because they thought the child had a real gun. And so let's talk about guns and let's talk about how in order to obtain a license for a gun, adults have to go through, should have to go through, Mm -hmm rigorous training Mm -hmm. on how to use it and understanding how to store it. And even then, the people who know the most about guns, police officers, military personnel, still have accidents. Right. And so even the most well-trained people have difficulty with these firearms. And so I would almost encourage our culture to have a a mind switch and change and Talk about if you're going to be playing with a toy gun that really looks like a toy gun Mm -hmm. to pretend like you're hunting. And so shoot it at the squirrels in the backyard. Shoot it at the deer. Don't shoot it at people. Yeah. Because if you're not aiming at people, then you don't, 
you know, there's not as much room for error if someone thinks accidentally picks up a real gun and uses it as a toy gun. Right. Now, that's a great statement and philosophy <laughs> to have, but I really do think that's also why we've shown that violent prevention programs don't work with kids because you can tell kids until you're blue in the face don't aim that gun at somebody you could hurt them and they're still going to sit there and aim at people and play because it's so ingrained in our culture right so i think and they see it they see it everywhere so um i think that's i think that's a culture change that i'd love to see but it's going to be really difficult Yes, agreed. Um, one episode uh, to listen to if this is uh, making your brain churn in a fun way and you want more resources on this uh, is The Power of Play with Danny Joe. Um, he talks about, you know, a stick can be a gun to a kid um, and to adults who have a sense of play. But that working with kids on that sense of play in a healthy way is important and it's part of our jobs as nannies. So I agree and think that having that conversation is so important for many, many reasons. Um, Not only safety, but also play is their work. It's the work of a Mm -hmm. child to play. And so talking to them about how they're playing and and things like that are important. I always have the rule um, when we're playing, you know, guns or anything violent that I'm in charge of my own body and I don't like guns being pointed at me. And so I model that. Um, and then kind of, you know, depending on their age and, and ability, let them decide. And a lot of times, especially the younger sibling... <laughs> will say, I'm in charge of my body and I don't want you to point the gun at me. And so giving, empowering them to say that is, I think, also important. That's a wonderful phrase for so many different reasons. (laughs) But yes, and I I think having an adult that models that behavior, because a lot of times it's the adults that model the roughhousing behavior. And so having someone take control of their own body and how they like to be treated and also show a little bit of that victimization mm-hmm. that can be really powerful to a child to say, oh my gosh, I did something that this adult is reacting to in a way that I didn't expect. Right. And that can be a wonderful lesson to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. So we've touched a little bit on play dates. Um, but as, as kids grow older, they start going over to other houses for play dates. Um, what should we talked about what a nanny can ask if they're sending their nanny kid over for a play date but what about the conversation with the kid going to the play date yeah i think and i think again you can have this conversation on multiple different levels and not have it be just about the gun right i think it's really important to empower that child to come and talk to you if they have any safety questions or concerns. So be it about a dog Mm -hmm. that they're uncomfortable with or a pool and they don't know how to swim or even just feeling like they're being forced into a social situation that they don't like. Right. Um, Or an adult that they may not feel comfortable with or they're getting a weird vibe from. I think it's really important to really empower that child and say, I want you to tell me anytime you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so you can make a specific about guns if you know there's going to be a gun around and say, if you ever see little Danny playing with a gun, right? I need you to stop and immediately go find an adult. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that child's job to discern whether it is a fake gun or a real gun. Right. And it's not that child's job to sit there and tell their playmate, you should stop that. You should put it down because like we talked about, that child's instinct is to play and probably fire it at somebody Mm -hmm. uh, or at themselves. So it's the see something, say something Mm -hmm. and, and to find an adult because it's not their job to do anything other than escalate it to the next person. Right. Right. Um, Yes. And I think having that 
conversation is is super important. Uh, but I do agree having a conversation about lots of things on playdates because it's a big milestone when a kid goes for their first playdate and and empowering them to let you know about anything that makes them feel uncomfortable, I think is very, very important. And I think at the end of the play date also having kind of a wrap up conversation, yeah. not only the, if, and if you're not there witnessing everything, just debriefing of what did you do? What did you play with? How did you like it? Do you like so-and-so? What did you think of their parents? What did you think of their dog? And, and that'll start, and you'll you'll be able to sense if there is hesitancy, if there's a discomfort, and can zone in on that a little bit better. But having yeah. those wrap-up conversations can be really helpful too. Yeah, and I, I heard in your questions, it's not just how to go, fine, done. Asking specific questions. And there's a list, which I've posted before and we'll try to find, but about asking your kids how their day at school went of – it's like a hundred different questions of asking, you know, who did you play with on the playground today? Who did you sit next to in circle time? Um, what story did you read today? Things mm-hmm. like that that don't let kids just say fine and move on. Right. Um, because a lot of kids, especially if you're working with an introverted kid, will just want to say it was fine and move on no matter what happened even if it was the best day of their life (laughs) you want to say it was fine and move on or you could be like my kid and say we went outside and played in the pool and it's like hun there's snow on the ground i don't think you did (laughs) yes that's also (laughs) what what they imagined they did can bleed over sometimes um great and we've talked about how to kind of broach the subject with parents or the nannies at the other house. Now, this is something that I actually didn't think of until right this moment. But let's say you're going over to a play date and the nanny is the one there and they don't know if there's a gun in the house. Mm -hmm. How can you navigate that? And usually if you're going over and it's with another nanny, you're also staying because it's not fair (laughs) to drop and run. (laughs) That's nanny etiquette 101. Yeah, exactly. And just to have another adult is sometimes so nice. So yeah, if the other nanny doesn't know, but you're already there and you didn't think about it ahead of time. Sure. I mean, I think the first thing for a kid's safety is that you just have to be hypervigilant. Right. And you have to assume, like the statistics say, that you have to assume that there's a gun there. Right. And so you need to be in every room where mm-hmm. the children are, whether that's restricting their play zone mm-hmm. to we're just going to stay in this room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, that's kind of treating it like if there was a dog. Right. Or something else that... You don't know if it's a friendly dog. You don't know what sets that dog off. Right. Um, Kind of isolating them from whatever could be a risk. Yeah. And then I'd also, at the end of the play date, I'd also empower that nanny to talk Mm -hmm. to their family and and help them understand why it's important. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes using some of those eye-opening statistics can be helpful. Right. Um, but it's something for their own safety, for the safety of their children that they're responsible for, that they should be asking. So that's there's actually um, an Ask campaign mm-hmm. that's going on. Um, it's a joint venture with the AAP and I think it's the Bradley Initiative to End Gun Violence, something. I said that wrong. but um, And it basically, the whole purpose is to just get people talking. Right. And so the pledge is, I pledge to ask if there is a gun in the home when I'm going to someone else's house, I pledge to ask if it is properly stored. So it's just the simple action of getting that information right. and starting those synapses firing in people's brains saying, wow, that person thinks this is an issue. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should think it's an issue too. Right, right. Um, and also, as you were saying, restricting the play zone, that is not a play date to play hide and seek. Right. Um, Things like that that I would normally be fine with. And I know 
my older kiddos love playing hide and seek, especially in a new location. But that particular play date, <laughs> don't play hide and seek. Or maybe one of those play dates where you play outside. Right. Yep. Um, agreed. If if the weather is okay. Um, yeah. Or you maybe that play date. You say, how about for this play date, we meet at Jump Zone um, or wherever. Invite them to their house. Yeah. 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 To your house. Exactly. Um, so there are a lot of different ways that you can still ensure the safety without having to force a conversation right in the hour before the play date because that probably won't go well. Mm-hmm. Um, great. When I am talking to children or adults, I've, I often find it hard to balance effectively communicating the dangers of guns and gun violence with fear-mongering because I don't want to fear-monger a kid um, or an adult, but especially a kid. Uh, so do you have advice on how to approach this topic in a way that communicates the gravity of the situation without just creating fear for fear's sake. Sure, sure. And I think, and that that's really hard because kids also, especially the older kids, are hearing about guns all the time. Right. Um, They're and the younger kids are too. Like I think that that's something to keep in mind is that kids are not immune to this national conversation that we're having. You might think that you turn the radio off and they don't hear it, but they do and they hear it from their friends at school and et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. So I think I think it's important to be upfront, up, up front and honest. And the first thing that I would say is no gun is safe. Mm-hmm. And even people that know how to use guns can have accidents. Right. And so at no time should they ever play with a gun. And I think it's also helpful whether, and this can be applied to whether you're talking about guns or whether you're talking about a national tragedy that's happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And this goes for tragedies of gun violence, natural disasters, anything. What we know about communicating with kids is that as adults, we try to use vague language Mm -hmm. because we feel like that downplays the seriousness of an event and that protects children. Mm -hmm. From the children's perspective, that leaves a gray area where their imaginations take over. Right. And so from my field, it's (laughs) like explaining death of a sibling to a child. Right. And if you just say, you know, little Johnny is in heaven, that doesn't explain to them what happened. Right. And what do we do now? And where do we go from here? And they need some details to ground them. Otherwise, what they conjure in their imagination may be much worse than what actually happened. And then it also doesn't really give them an outlet to ask questions Mm -hmm. and to follow up and have a deeper understanding and a deeper communication or a deeper conversation to help them understand and process what's going on. So, and this is more, maybe not answering your question, but as people, as we see instances of shootings on TV, on the radio, it's really important to avoid that vague language mm-hmm. and say, you know, oh, somebody was hurt in a place far, far away from us. That doesn't give the child any helpful information. Right. And that doesn't help protect them in the future. So mm-hmm. you can, and, but you also don't want to give copious details and terrify the child. Right. So you can give the specifics of there was somebody who took a gun to school and there were 20 children that were killed mm-hmm. in Connecticut, which is a state, 10 states east of us. Right. And that really makes mommy feel sad. 
Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel angry because no child should ever be hurt. Right. And that gives enough details that they know there was a gun involved so that they understand how serious guns are. Mm-hmm. And they understand that guns can kill people. Granted, their understanding of what death is right. varies by age and their experience. But it also gives you the opportunity to share your feelings and validate their feelings. Yeah. And then sit down and say, you know, what have you heard about this? What is your understanding of this event? And what do you know about guns? Yeah. And how does that make you feel? Because it's really our job to give them those coping skills and that safe place for communication so that if they hear of someone that brought a gun to school, they know I've talked to Martha about this before and she thought this was a really big issue. Maybe I should talk to her again about it. Right. And the open lines of communication are so important. Yes, and I think also encouraging them to continue to talk about it. So having that conversation, you know, once it wraps up, ending with, if you ever have a question about this, please ask me. Yeah. I would love to either tell you or we can learn together if I don't know. Um, yeah. Which is a different issue of, of showing that sometimes adults don't know. Um, But I think that that's super important too, of I might not know the answer to that, but I would love to learn and get back to you or learn with you, Mm -hmm. depending on the age and how comfortable you are in the subject and all that. Mm -hmm. And I think it also opens up kind of what we've already talked about is guns can be very dangerous and there's no safe gun. So when you're playing with a toy gun, you have to be very careful and you have to, you should be treating it like a real gun. So like we said, aiming it at trees, at squirrels, don't aim it at people. And the reason that, you know, Martha is harping on this is because guns do hurt people. Right. And so if you start kind of training them to have that respect mm-hmm. for the object they're playing with, then maybe that'll stick in their mind. Right. It may right. not change their behavior, but it, it at least might trigger something that makes them think, wait a second, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. Or I'm hearing about something that is really bothering me and I need to talk to somebody about it. Yes. Yes. And I, I agree with you about using vague language leaves so much gray area that can potentially be more dangerous than not talking about it at all. Um, so, yes, I I think being specific without fear for fear's sake. You don't have to go through what a bullet does to a body with a child. Right. That's too far. <laughs> but, you know, talking about that people did die is, I think... And, and knowing that, especially if you're, if you're caring for school-aged children mm-hmm. that are doing active shooter drills at right. school, there's no way you can come out of a drill and not be affected by that. Right. I had to just watch some video continuing education modules on what to do in the hospital if there's an active shooter. And I felt like I was traumatized for the rest of the day. Um, and I'm an adult. Right. So I think it's important... Again, just harping on that communication and asking the child, how did that make you feel? Mm -hmm. And what questions do you have? But also recognizing that when there are school shootings Mm -hmm. on TV, it personalizes it so much more because they're practicing to avoid a situation like that. So they're going to be much more attuned to the news when that does happen. And so you really do have to filter what they're exposed to mm-hmm. because there's a point where too much information is detrimental. And so hearing the sound of gunshots on TV, watching footage right. is not helpful. So whether you can record the news, preview it, and then watch it with the child, pausing it and stopping and asking, how is this making you feel? What are you understanding about what's going on? So more active participant listening right 
can be helpful for the older kids to help them process what's going on mm-hmm. or just not have them watch the media. Right. Because that's a place where you really want, you and the parent right. really need to be censoring what they're exposed to. Right, right. And I that does um, remind me that, you know, as nannies, we also are beholden to the parents and, and how they want sure. this talked about with their children. So maybe talking with a parent about what conversations have you had. I would like to be a united front on this, um, but I don't know <laughs> how you're talking with your yeah. children. So um, opening the door to the conversation with the parent might be your first step. And then talking with a kid. But there's also a lot of subjects that a kid will bring up that you haven't talked with a parent about beforehand. Um, One of my favorite ways around that, especially um, with like the sex talk and things like that, um, is I would love to tell you about that, but you know who would really love to tell you about that is your parents. Um, From a parent perspective, thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) But that, you know, doesn't stigmatize it. Like, no, 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 we can't talk about that. Uh, And and also makes it so that the parent can deal with it in the way. I also do that with religious topics, if I don't know how the parents feel about that. Um, Sometimes I'll present different views and say these are different things that people believe, but your parents will want to talk to you about what your family believes. Yeah, and then like telling the parents, no, little Johnny had questions about this and this and this today, and this is how I talked about it, but it's a conversation that maybe you should have with him because now he's asking. Right, exactly. Um, and I think one thing that's helpful for nannies to know are some of the signs that kids are really being affected by something. Yes. So if they're if they are feeling more traumatized, a lot of kids start having vague medical symptoms. So okay. the two ones that we really see a lot are complaints of headaches mm-hmm. that they never used to have before, vague complaints of abdominal pain mm-hmm. without like vomiting, right, diarrhea, without other concerning symptoms that happen really immediately after a traumatic incident. Yeah. Um, If they're not sleeping well at night, Mm -hmm. if they are being really clingy to caregivers, um, so parents to nannies are not wanting to go to school, Mm -hmm. those are other signs. So you can be on the lookout for it and then bring it up to the parent's attention and say, listen, I think something's going on here. Right. Because I've noticed that Billy has been acting differently. And I really think that this has affected him more than we think it has. What have you said? How have you addressed this topic with him? Right. Right. And if they're like, we haven't, then <laughs> saying, okay, great. I I would love to work together to address this because it is affecting him, right. um, it seems to me. Um, and going from there, that's great advice. Um, Because, yeah, I do – that can be such a mystery (laughs) when kids suddenly, you know, have constant stomach issues. And you're like, well, what is going on? And a lot of times our brains go to more, like, what they're eating and things like that. But I I do think keeping in mind that it could be um, stress or fear – is a really good thing to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Or headaches, yeah. I I haven't experienced that yet, but the kids that I'm with are getting older, so we'll see if it comes down the line. Um, so when you are talking with adults, is there, um, we can probably be more open about how we talk with other adults about this? Are there statistics or facts that can help us better understand this problem and and better communicate with other adults about this? I love that you talked about the Ask campaign because I do think that that's important just 
starting the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think with adults, sometimes sometimes it's helpful to use statistics. And sometimes, since, since guns are so polarizing, sometimes that just puts up their walls and barriers and shuts right. them down. But... And we've talked a little bit about like the unintentional deaths and how just having a gun in the house increases the risk for suicide and homicide and the members of that household, especially the female members of that household being victims of gun violence. Right. But I think sometimes numbers also just smack you in the face and can be impactful. And so... Again, the same website that I referenced earlier from the CDC, just looking from 2015 to 2016, there were, of kids zero to four years old in the last year, there were 133 deaths from gun homicide. Mm -hmm. So that's one death every three days. Wow. In a child zero to four years old. Wow. And that only escalates as the kids get older. So in 10 to 14-year-olds, there were 517 deaths from guns. That's just homicide. Right. From 2015 to 2016. In the 15 to 19-year-olds, 4,800. Wow. So granted, like we said, those are the teenagers that are also involved in other risky behaviors thinking that they're adults with more decision-making capacity than their little immature prefrontal (laughs) cortexes can handle. But it's also important to note that those are not isolated events. So those 4,800 deaths, they likely had siblings and they had cousins and they had neighbors who are all going to be affected by those. So we can talk about numbers until we're blue in the face, but there are lots of other unmeasurable, unquantifiable victims that are affected by one instance of gun violence. Same with suicide, especially as depression and mental health issues are so unfortunately rampant in our society. Mm -hmm. Guns by suicide are the second, or guns are the second largest cause of death of suicide in kids five to 14 years old. Um, and it caused 300 deaths wow. in the last, well, 2015, 2016. And when you talk about suicide, there are a lot of suicide plans that are more cries for help. Right. So kids overdosing or doing things that don't have the high mortality rates that mm-hmm suicide by gun has so i've taken care of countless kids who've overdosed in the intensive care unit on the pediatric floor granted some of them don't make it right but a lot of them we can save Mm -hmm. it's very hard to save someone who wants to commit suicide with a gun right so that's why it's so important if there's anyone with mental health issues, depression in the family, it's so important to take that gun away. Right. And there are campaigns right now whereby family members or law enforcement can petition a court to remove guns from the possession of someone that they think is a risk to themselves or to society. Because mm. we have had, I'm not sure it's the benefit of hindsight, but we have been able to find patterns between mass shooters Mm -hmm. or shooters of like a single instance where there are some common red flags. And so as we're starting to recognize those, we can try to take proactive steps. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I also know that post Partum depression is on the rise. Mm -hmm. So keeping that in mind as well, um, if there's a gun in the house and there's also a new baby, keep just keeping that in mind that hormones and, and the stress on your body of having a child can impact, uh, moms in a way that they haven't experienced before and that they are not um, 
used to talking about and may not have a support network built like they would have for other issues in their life. Sure. So especially if it's, you know, the first in a group of friends to have a kid, something like that. Mm -hmm. You can't turn to your friends in the same way that you can about other things in your life. So just keeping that in mind. Um, That it's it's not always from a place of anger. Um, Yeah, and so in hearing all of this (laughs) and you know, kind of being smacked in the face by some of these statistics. If someone is listening and they want to do something, um, what are some some ways that they can put their energy towards taking care of this problem? Yeah, so there, there are lots of local, state, federal initiatives. Since I'm a pediatrician, I'll first talk about the American Academy of Pediatrics. Mm-hmm. So... It is the stand of the AAP that we are bipartisan. And so we will work with whoever is interested in helping us prevent child injuries and deaths from guns. Right. So there are some initiatives that have been identified, um, including mandatory background checks. We are physicians and we are scientists by training. And so we need data to help us determine when an intervention is effective or is not so that we can recommend what is the best treatment for a problem. And we don't have good data on gun violence. There are some legislative actions that have been effectively blocking Mm -hmm. the ability to gather data on gun violence. So we are asking the federal government for $50 million in federal funding for gun violence prevention research, a ban on semi-automatic weapons, and then stronger gun laws. Um, Also access to counseling, mental health, behavioral health for people that need it, but also for victims. There's also the Sandy Hook Promise, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunately in existence, but um, the board of directors, uh, or it was founded by many of the parents and families of people that were killed at Sandy Hook in 2014? Yeah. 2012, I think. um, December 14th, 2012. Right. In Connecticut. And they are a grassroots organization that is really interested in being involved involved in every community. So they have opportunities for um, outreach leaders mm-hmm. that where they will train you to give talks, to wear t-shirts, to go door to door and talking about the importance of gun violence legislation. And they also have a very strong advocacy network mm-hmm. and presence on the state and federal level. Um, There, I talked about the Ask campaign. Um, Any one of those organizations would be happy to take your donations. Um, But I think also exactly what you're doing, Martha, which is talking to people and, and spreading the word about how we all hear about the mass shootings that happen but there are daily and hourly instances of gun violence that go unreported. Right. And maybe if we can make these small changes in our lives and be more aware of guns, mm-hmm. then maybe we can put a dent in, the, in those numbers. Uh, but it also depends on where you are. Right. So whether you have concealed carry permits. Because then you also have to worry about, could there be a gun in someone's purse or someone's bag or not just in the home? Right. So you also have to tailor it towards your location in your own state and local laws. Yeah. Um, I also found um, Project Safe Child, um, which I'm sure takes from some of the other places that you mentioned. But I found... That website to be, um, they provide not scripts, but ways to get the conversation started and resources that um, 
to me felt very bipartisan and really focused on protecting the child. Um, so if you are in a, a state where this conversation potentially is harder to have um, because of the polarizing nature of it, maybe visiting that website um, and even printing out some things from there would be a good idea um, just to educate yourself before having the conversation and keeping in mind, I love that list of are there, you know, is there a pool? Are there allergens? Are, I love the idea of having it in a list of all the ways that you want to keep their child safe. That shows that you are professional and you are actually very concerned about the safety of the child in every aspect. Um, and I think that that's, you know, the pinnacle of what a nanny can do is, is work uh, to keep a child safe. So I, I agree that, you know, maybe donation is how you want to do it, but there also think about all the different ways that you can help. Um, and if that is helping get the conversation started in a particular home, I think that that is an awesome way to help. So awesome. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we wrap up? I, I don't think so. Um, I, I probably should have said this at the beginning, but we um, are just very thankful for you all doing amazing jobs. And we have a nanny that we love and is my child's second mother mm -hmm. and is a member of our family. And so we, we definitely appreciate and value the contributions that nannies have to a family and to the growth and development of a child. And it's, it's a wonderful community. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm so thankful. Uh, and I am inspired all the time by other nannies in my life. Um, and parents, man, parents are awesome. <laughs> I mean, you all work so hard and, and for very little thanks. So I, I appreciate you as well. Um, and if you have questions, if there's something that we didn't touch on, um, I would love to have an excuse to talk with Elizabeth Moore. So please email in to chroniclesofnania at gmail.com with any questions or concerns you have about what you've heard today um or if you want to discuss something further i my door is opened my metaphorical online door is open um to you to ask more questions and if i don't know the answer i will learn <laughs> um, because i love to learn so you'll be doing me a favor um there are links down in the show notes for the websites that we've uh, referenced during this episode. So if you would like to look up more information on your own, please, uh, you, you too can be a nerd and learn more. Um, and we end each episode with a, a fun, cute, uplifting story. And, and this type of episode is, is one of the reasons why I have that in, as the end. In need of levity. Yes, exactly. So my story is about my three-year-old. So he just turned three this last week. And we were getting ready to go to his doctor's office. And he knows the name of his dentist. And he talks about her all the time. And so... As we were driving to his doctor's office, we were saying, you know, do you know the name of your doctor? And she's going to go listen to your heart and listen to your breathing and see if there are elephants in your ears <laughs> and fun things like that. And he kept nodding along and we were sitting in the waiting room and he said, we're at the doctor's office. Who is your doctor? And he got this bright look in his face and his eyes lit up and he said, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> 
And as a pediatrician myself, my heart just broke. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> but we told his, his pediatrician and she thought it was pretty incredible. So <laughs> kids can say the best things, but I would they love really as a pediatrician can. to be Dr. Seuss. That would be great. Oh my gosh, that would be so great. Yes, that's such a cute story. I love that. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. I really appreciate you taking time to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Chronicles of Nania is produced and hosted by Martha Reddick. Artwork by Noni Amadon. Theme music by Brad Kemp. Find him at secondbedroomstudio.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Nania and on Twitter at Nania Podcast. To contact us, email chroniclesofnania at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.